Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 470 for November 22nd, 2015. This week, Microsoft's Surface Pro 4 is an impressive piece of hardware with some significant flaws. Windows 10, build 10586, may already be on your computer. If not, it soon will be, and the first major update to Windows 10 adds some useful features. In short circuits, let's consider why this week's program might look and sound a little bit different. And November 22nd is a day of both sadness and joy. In spare parts, only on the website, the Toronto Star and the Scripps News Service investigated how encryption that you might be using to keep information private on your smartphone sometimes hampers law enforcement agencies. And Microsoft and Red Hat have announced a partnership that they say will help customers embrace hybrid cloud computing. All right, I give up. Several weeks ago, or maybe it was a couple of months ago, I said I hadn't yet quite figured out how to justify buying a Microsoft Surface tablet. After all, I have a desktop system, and I'm not likely to replace it with a notebook or a tablet. I have a notebook computer that's powerful enough to run applications that need a lot of processing power. An Android tablet serves as a book reader and a Wi-Fi communications link. Yet, here I am, the owner of a Surface 4 tablet. Overall, I'm impressed. That's not to say, though, that the Surface is perfect, because clearly it isn't. But it is impressive. It's light. Screen resolution is incredible. If you're looking for a Windows computer that's about the size of a paper notebook, the Surface is probably what you're looking for. The CPU options remind me of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. There's the i3, too small. The i7, too big. And the i5, just about right. If I needed to use the tablet regularly to run Adobe applications or other powerhouse apps, I'd be willing to spend more for the i7 but Adobe apps are a lot more at home on the desktop and the notebook computer than they would be on a tablet. The screen, though, is really what got my attention. 12.3 inches, 2,736 pixels by 1,824 pixels. It's a touchscreen, of course. The desktop has two 27-inch monitors, each 1920 by 1080. The display on these large monitors now looks rough when compared to the display on the Surface. Some older applications, though, can be unreadably small on the high-res screen. By default, applications are set to be 200% of their standard size. But the Bat and Media Monkey, for example, have interfaces that just don't work very well at this resolution. There are workarounds for some applications, but they're just that, workarounds. Check it out on the TechBiter Worldwide website, And note how the text under Preferences in MediaMonkey is crammed together vertically. I love the portability, though. This tiny computer fits in a tiny space. It has an astonishingly good audio system. In fact, speakers that couldn't possibly put out such rich sound actually do. If you spend a lot of time with your current notebook computer on your lap, the Surface might not be a good choice, though. 
There is a keyboard, but it really doesn't lend itself to use on a lap, and you have to pay extra for it. What's not to like? Well, I've identified three primary dislikes, but even combined, these were insufficient for me to return the Surface Pro for a refund. They are annoying, though. In tablet mode, the on-screen keyboard is horrid. It hasn't improved since Windows 8. There's no glide option, even though Apple and Android phones have had the feature for years. You'll probably use the optional physical keyboard, but Microsoft should find a way to improve the virtual on-screen keyboard. If you start the Surface computer with the optional keyboard attached and folded back so that the Surface is in tablet mode, you'll wait about three minutes for the system to boot. This appears to be a problem that's been around at least since the days of the Surface 2, and maybe even since the original Surface. The fact that users can avoid the problem by either detaching the optional keyboard or not folding it back really isn't acceptable. Microsoft needs to fix this. The third problem I've seen, Display Driver stopped responding and has recovered. Users have been reporting this problem for years, and it's still an issue. Why? The recovery is quick, takes just a few seconds, but whatever application you were using will be toast, along with whatever data you were working on. The worst offenders seem to be Microsoft Edge browser and Firefox. After switching to Chrome as my default browser on the Surface, I haven't seen the problem, but this is something that really does need to be fixed. It's something that users have been reporting since the days of Windows Vista. And problem number four, yeah, I know I said three. This is four. Consider it a bonus grump. I've mentioned the optional physical keyboard a few times. Look, Microsoft, this shouldn't be optional. Put on your big boy pants and include it with the tablet. Yes, you may have to hike the price a little bit. So what? It's a great tablet. It needs a keyboard. So even with all that, I still recommend it. If portability is important to you, the Surface is an incredibly useful computer. And I may have mentioned that it's tiny. The original Surface Pro was 13 millimeters thick. The Surface 3 crammed a lot of power into a box that was just 9.1 millimeters thick. And the Surface Pro 4 cuts that to 8.4 millimeters, while simultaneously offering a larger screen. The weight, two and a half pounds, with the optional keyboard, is low enough that it won't wear you out as you walk from gate A1 to gate Z400 at the airport. If you're considering the Surface, you really will need the optional type cover. It uses a magnetic hinge along the bottom of the tablet to connect, then folds shut over the tablet's screen for protection and easy transport. It folds back in tablet mode, but you'll spend an extra $130 to add it. Microsoft really needs to include the keyboard as standard equipment. Omitting it just to make the price seem a little lower is absurd, particularly in light of the abysmal on-screen keyboard implementation. Have I mentioned the pen and handwriting recognition? Well, I haven't, but I should. Even without training, the handwriting recognition is surprisingly good. The pen that's included with the Surface 4, as the optional keyboard should be, offers 1,024 pressure levels to make response more like a real pen on paper. There are aftermarket swappable tips for the pen, but I've seen reports that some of these don't really work the way they should. I also got the docking station, which offers video outputs for dual monitors, four USB 3 ports, and a network cable port. 
I haven't yet attached external monitors or used the wired network connection, but I have attached a USB wireless mouse to the docking station. I use that at home. At the office, I use the built-in Bluetooth circuit for a mouse. Microsoft Insider Andy Scher, who has a Surface Book that exhibits many of the same issues that the Surface Pro 4 does, says he talked with the lead tech at a Microsoft store. You can see the full conversation on the Microsoft Support website. I have a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. The update today, he wrote, is a general upgrade to Windows 10 OS with new features. So the 1511, or build 10586.3, may not correct all of our issues. But the lead MS designers are, in fact, preparing a firmware update for the Surface Book and the Surface Pro 4. They ask the techs to instruct people to keep responding on the forum posts so that they get a full spectrum of how the machines are performing or failing. The display problem apparently is being investigated. Cher writes, it is present in the Surface Pro 4, the new Lenovo Yoga 900, a new Dell 13 XPS, so Intel must come to the table with corrected drivers for everyone. The bottom line is four cats. If you're seeking perfection, don't buy a computer any computer. If you want a highly portable device, the Surface Pro 4 fits the bill. Perfection would be nice, but it's an unreasonable expectation. The Surface Pro 4 comes close, and despite some fairly substantial annoyances, it looks like the perfect hardware for people who need portability and power in a single package. Additional details are available on the Microsoft Surface website. You'll find a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. I mentioned the Windows 10-15-11 update, or build 10586.3, in the previous section. The new build of Windows 10 was released on November 12th. Your computer may already have been updated. The update had the codename Threshold 2. Microsoft publicly calls it 1511. The more accurate term is 10586, which is the build number, or even more accurately, 10586.3. To find out what version of Windows is running on your computer, open a command prompt, type WinVer, that's W-I-N-V-E-R, and press Enter. The first big change you may notice is that application window top bars are no longer all white. Many users, including me, found that it was all too easy to click the close button on an inactive window that was actually behind the active window you wanted to close. Now the active window has an accent color. It'll be harder to make that mistake. One of the features that I saw weeks ago in a fastering build has made it to general release. Initially, the start screen allowed only 512 tiles. That has now been increased to 2048. But the real improvement allows medium-sized icons to be grouped four across instead of three. The icons are slightly smaller, but a four across grid is far more useful than three across. Users can choose two wide icons, two medium icons, and one wide icon, four medium icons, or eight small icons, or some other combination. Users have to enable this function, though, and there's another setting that you may want to change when you visit the Start section of the Personalization menu. 
turn show more tiles on to enable the four across grid and turn off occasionally show suggestions in start if you'd like Windows not to suggest apps that you might be interested in. Another improvement on the start screen is the addition of more features to the context menu for icons. You can unpin an icon from start, pin or unpin an icon from the taskbar, change the size of an icon, run the application as administrator, open the file location, or even uninstall the application. Some of the applications in Start have additional functions in a section called Tasks of the context-sensitive menu. In fact, you'll find lots of updated context menus. Right-click everything you see to find them. Until now, using Cortana required a Microsoft account. That's something that worried some users. Linking information to a Microsoft account does allow multiple computers to be synchronized. I consider this to be an advantage. If you don't, you can either disable Cortana or use the feature with a local account. Handwriting recognition has also been added to Cortana's growing bag of tricks. The Windows key and S, as in search, will awaken Cortana if your computer has no microphone or if you've turned off the ability to wake up the service by saying, Hey, Cortana! And if you'd like a plain background instead of what Microsoft refers to as the hero image at boot time, you can turn it off while in the personalization section. It's in the lock screen area. If you'd like to use your own image instead, well, that's something you got to go outside Microsoft to do. Check out Login Changer at My Digital Life. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You have to create an account to view the content or to download the application, but the application is free. Among the least important changes you'll find, icons in the old-style control panel have been updated to conform with Windows 10's style. If this update hasn't yet been installed on your Windows 10 computer, check the Updates section of the control panel. The update process will take perhaps half an hour or more, depending on the speed of your internet connection, the computer's CPU, and the overall speed. Note that you will need to reconfigure some applications following the update. Microsoft's Executive Vice President for Windows and Devices Group, Terry Meyerson, points out several other improvements in the first major update to Windows 10, and you'll find Terry's information on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, if the podcast sounds a little bit different this week, or the overall look and feel of the program are off just a tad, there's a good reason. Last Sunday, the desktop computer suffered a catastrophic failure that rendered it unbootable. This week's program was prepared using the laptop. If you'd like to see the setup, check out the TechBiter Worldwide website. Just a single monitor on a notebook computer with data on an external backup drive. The setup isn't what anyone would call well-organized, but it does work in an emergency. I took the desktop to TCR Computers, hoping that the BIOS might be recoverable. It wasn't, of course. In the old days, the BIOS chips could be pulled out of their sockets and reprogrammed. Well, now they're soldered in. That's a better method most of the time, because you don't have to be concerned with connections that the pins make in the sockets. 
In this case, though, the fact that the BIOS chip wasn't removable means that the mainboard was just as much toast as the BIOS. Was I high-pressured into buying a new computer? Well, I could use an upgrade, I suppose, but no. Maybe I was sold a high-priced motherboard to replace the one that I'd fried. And yes, it was my error. But again, no. In true TCR fashion, Warren Mitz located a mainboard from a reseller on Amazon.com and suggested that I order it and have it shipped to them. Finding a new copy of a board that's no longer being made saved some money. The board will have arrived by the time this program goes live, but I won't have the computer back until at least Saturday or maybe next week. That's one day later than I'd need it to complete this week's program. You know, in the old days, radio stations had alternate backup studios that they could dash to if the main studio went offline for some reason. That's effectively what kept things going here. A spare computer and a good backup. program date for this podcast is November 22nd. This is a day of joy and a day of sadness. My mother was born on November 22nd. John Kennedy was assassinated on November 22nd. It's a few days before Thanksgiving, at least in the U.S. Canada celebrated Thanksgiving last month, and it's three days shy of my wedding anniversary. Franklin Roosevelt and Eleanor Roosevelt were engaged on this day in 1904, Elijah Muhammad formed the Nation of Islam in Detroit on this day in 1930. Four years later, Santa Claus is Coming to Town was first heard on the radio. In 1968, on this day, Captain Kirk kissed Lieutenant Uhura in episode number 65 of Star Trek. It was the first interracial kiss on television. Other people born on this day, Robert Vaughn, born in 1932, he starred in Man from Uncle and I Spy, Terry Gilliam, born in 1940, an animator for Monty Python, and actress Mariel Hemingway, born in 1961. Next week, TechBiter Worldwide will take its annual Thanksgiving break. I'll be back on December 6th. But before you go, check out Spare Parts, only on the website. The Toronto Star and Scripps News Service investigated how encryption that you might be using to keep information private on your smartphone sometimes hampers law enforcement agencies. And Microsoft and Red Hat have announced a partnership that they say will help customers embrace hybrid cloud computing. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.